So, uh, there's, a, there's a big event happening in Phoenix today. Uh, what big event's happening in Phoenix today? The, uh, the uh, just wait, Pastor Brandon. Um, I'm going to be here next week to yell you down too. Um, uh, if you said the Super Bowl, you'd be wrong. So what's the big event happening in Phoenix today? Oh, there's a few golfers here, huh? Yeah. Um, uh, you'd be wrong too. Today, the big event in Phoenix is 55 renovators at Renovation Church are at over the hump week for Uncommon. All right. This is week four of seven. So there is a big event happening in Phoenix today. By, by the way, Dana hadn't made it in, so uh, as I started to take my shirt off when Pastor Brandon was having us, do it, for, fortunately, I was sitting next to Tori Gentry, who has wisdom, and she said, you know, that's probably not a good idea, Dr. Dan. Um, so uh, you were spared. Thank you, Tori. The Lord's calling you to, to, to probably save many of us. Maybe it's happened to your father a time or two. Um, so um, uh, knowing this, I believe today's message is perfectly timed for our church to pause and take stock in where we're going as a people and what God is wanting us to do to impact our community and beyond. And to lay the background of this, I, I want to do a quick review of a message that I preached here uh, at least several years ago about the life of Gideon. And you may, if you were here, remember a, a bit of what you learned, but we need to, to do a, a review so all of us will be on the, uh, on the same page. Um, and when most of us think of Gideon, most of us think of someone who took on and defeated a gigantic army with just 300 soldiers, right? Gideon. Uh, if you went to Sunday school as a small one, you would, you would know that story. But uh, when you actually study the story, you find out that Gideon was actually a lot like you and me. Uh, when we meet him in Scripture, he is just average, completely nondescript. Nobody but his family knows his name and he looks nothing like hero material. So the good news is that pretty much describes all of us here, right? Um, and so uh, turn with me to Judges. Judges is about a quarter of the way into your Bible if you still use a real Bible. Um, and uh, it's J-U-D if you uh, just look it up. Um, Chapter six, and let's jump in. Ready? Here, here comes along the Gideon story. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and it'll be up on the, on the screen also. Uh, evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And near the end of that paragraph, look at verse five. Uh, this is talking now about the Midianites. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. So look at Gideon's nation when we first see him. The nation has rejected God's ways, and so God allowed 
the powerful enemies to do discipline for him. Remember, all evil done against us is allowed by God, and because that's true and because of the resurrection, he can use every evil against us for his great purposes. That's how sovereign he is. And so he allowed the Midianites, who thought they were doing what they wanted to do, he allowed the Midianites to discipline Israel so they would wake up. And they were, the Israelites were stupid enough that it took seven years of getting beaten to a pulp to wake up. But in any case, um, this is a great example of how 3,300-year-old scripture remains perfectly relevant today. We live in a land that's politically divided in a massive and accelerating debt, increasingly untrusting of our national leaders, and in a moral freefall. We have balloons going over. I wonder what seven years could look like for us in the future. Um, not too unlike his situation, and this emerges as a key concept from this passage. Here's your first blanks, write it in. By the way, if you don't have, uh, have um, notes, they're on the chairs at the back and the tables at the back. Um, here, here you go, here's your first key concept. When a nation has gotten themselves in trouble, God comes for looking, looking for people to use. And now let's enter Gideon's story. A couple of paragraphs down, look at this, verse 11. The angel, then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press. Beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. So this verse shows us the kind of person that God comes looking for when he's preparing to save a whole nation. Ready? Attribute number one, here's your blanks. A person who's doing what they can do, what they can do for God, even though times are tough. See, when Gideon enters the story, he's pretty unimpressive. He wasn't doing special ops into the enemy's land to see what was going on and what was coming, right? You know what he was doing? He wasn't doing much at all. He was just saving a little bit of wheat. That's all Gideon was doing when we see this guy, this superhero from the Bible. And ready? Of the kind of person God comes looking for, attribute number two, here's your blank. A person who's being faithful, listen church, a person who's being faithful even though they don't feel bold. So verse 11 tells us that Gideon was in a wine press. Now where are the wine presses? They're down in the valleys by the vineyards, of course, but he wasn't, he wasn't stepping on and smushing grapes. He was, he was threshing wheat. And where are the wheat threshing floors? They're up on the top of the hills where the wind is, but the problem with that is the glittering in the sun you can see for many miles. So get the picture here. <laughs> Why is he threshing wheat in a wine press? Because Gideon was terrified and hiding. That's, yep, our Gideon. Ready? And now, knowing that scaredy cat Gideon looks like this when we first meet him, the next couple of verses give us two really surprising facts. Ready? Look at verse 12. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, <laughs> this is hysterical. The Lord is with you, O valiant 
Warrior, I would probably put another W uh, word in there, like wimp or worthless guy. You valiant warrior, this is amazing. Look, look what's going on here. Here's surprising fact number one. Here's your blank. No matter how we see ourselves, God sees us as valiant warriors. Think about the contrast between what was Gideon, Gideon was like and God, how, how God sees Gideon. I want you to listen to this. God doesn't just see you as you are. God sees you as he made you to be. Listen, you see yourself as you are, and many of us have this baggage, which we'll talk about, that's behind, that sets us up, and we know we can't be used anymore. God sees you as he made you to be. And let me tell you something, that is a horrifying, valiant warrior. That's who God made you to be. Okay, now, let's look at the second surprising fact, verse 13, and Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Whiner, another W word, right? Whiner, here, look at this. Look at this list. And where are all these miracles that our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Wow, wow, wow. Just what you think of when, if we did word, if I put a, a big whiteboard up here and said, okay, we're gonna do, we're gonna do word, uh, word connection, right? I'm gonna put a word up and then you just throw out the words. If I put up Gideon there, you probably wouldn't have put wimp, whiner, but there it is. That's who God is working with. Doesn't he have anybody better than this? Look at this. You ready for surprising fact number two? At the beginning, Gideon wasn't courageous. He was timid and doubtful. Kind of like us. And these two surprising facts provide the background for our applications this morning. Ready? Number one. In the midst of Gideon's doubts, listen church, in the midst of Gideon's doubts, God appointed him to one of the greatest tasks in history. This is amazing. Look what God did in response to Gideon's pathetic state. You can't describe him as anything other than that. Ready? Look at the end of chapter, uh, verse 13 again, the end of the wow, wow, right? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the land of Midian. And the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? I get to the end of that verse and I have a question for God. What were you thinking? I mean, this is the, this, other than the church, this is the worst plan in history, Right? I mean, what is going on here? This is absolutely remarkable. Look at this astonishing fact. God didn't give Gideon his great calling at a high point in his life, but at a really low point. And that should encourage a whole lot of us. If you find yourself at a time in your life where you're thinking, I'm timid, I'm scared, I'm no, I'm no warrior, I have doubts, how could God ever use me? Are you ready? Don't be listening for God's rebuke. Now's the time to be listening for God's great calling to wake you up. Right now, today. Application number two, here are. We often believe that God can't use us because of our limitations or our past. 
This is exactly what's going on with Gideon, right? Look at verse 15. And he said to him, he, Gideon, said to God, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Pretty reasonable question. Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. So notice this. Gideon thought that God couldn't use him because he had two big problems. Ready? Here's Gideon's first problem. Here's your blank. Ready? He had the wrong background. Gideon had the wrong background. Unusable. See, his tribe, Manasseh, was one of the smallest tribes in all of Israel. In fact, you ready? Manasseh was only a half-tribe. Joseph was so gigantic, right, in the history of Israel that because the Levites didn't get a, a lot of land, right, God still wanted 12, you know, even number, God likes even numbers, I guess. He wanted 12, and so, you ready for this? Manasseh and Ephraim split the sons of Joseph, so they're only a half-tribe. He's not even from a tribe, okay? And it gets worse than that. Even though they had a big land mass, it was a middle of nowhere, nothing on it, and nothing going on, and there was essentially nobody who wanted to stay there. So that's where it is. Um, so here's, here's one other thing that happened. His family lived on the east side of the Jordan, and there were no bridges back then. East side of the Jordan, okay? So you ready? Guess what they ended up being? They were from the wrong side of town. They were those people, those east siders from across the river. Ready? Look at it on the map. If all goes well with the technology. Now notice, Manasseh is a pretty big landmass but I think they were number 11 out of 12 tribes in terms of number of people. And then you see the little bit of, uh, to the east of the Jordan there up there, that little thing that has no names or anything in it? Gideon's place. He's an east sider, worthless from nowhere. This is the most nowheresville part of Israel, okay? So notice that's where he's from. So Gideon thought that no one with his background could do anything great for God. And he thought, that his past, where he came from, disqualified him from having any significant purpose. <laughs> Gideon's telling a lot of our stories. See, in Gideon's mind, somebody like him just didn't have it. Number one, he was from the wrong background. Ready for Gideon's big problem? Number two, here it is, write it in. His age. His age. Listen to the text again. Oh Lord, how can I deliver Israel? I'm the youngest in my father's house. So Gideon didn't think God could use him because of his age. So let me ask you, do you think you're too young? Do you think you're too old? Lots of that around now in the church. Uh, do you think you're too middle-aged? Everybody has an age excuse. Every, listen to me, don't, be, don't get rid of this chronological snobbery, okay? You will be too young until you till you're too middle until you're too old if you think God is worried about your age. In fact, are you ready for a big biblical precept? You were born the exact day that God wanted you to be born, so he knew how old you would be today when he's trying to call you. And some of you might be 83. It, it just you know, some of you are 12. By the way, you should be over with Pastor Dana uh, if you're 12, but it's not the point, right? Okay, so um, 
listen again. God often chooses inadequate people to carry out his gigantic plans. Think about these biblical characters. David was too small, Amos had the wrong profession, Elisha was bald, Rahab was a prostitute, Paul was physically small and probably blind, and Ruth was a despised Moabite. Talk about being from the wrong side of town. By the way, Rahab and, <laughs> Rahab and Ruth are in Jesus Messiah's lineage. Saved the world through them. Look at this, what about Moses? He's supposed to lead a million people who of course all have hard hearts or belligerent and wanna kill him. And he, you ready? He's supposed to do that with a speech impediment and he's 80 when he starts? Absurd. Moses couldn't possibly be the deliverer of Israel. And there it is. So, now let's pause for a moment. What a perfect time to hear this message from the Lord. Halfway through Uncommon, for a good portion of you and for all of the rest of us, those of us who have done Uncommon many times and those who haven't even done it yet. What a time, you ready? Step back and look at this key concept. Here's your blank, write it in. Every person who did great things in the Bible had good reasons for why they couldn't. Read what you just wrote. Every person who did great things in the Bible had good reasons for why they couldn't. So you're ready for a big paradox? Here's your next blank. This one is really funny, but it's purely biblical. God has disqualified your disqualifications. You thought you, God's disqualified your qualifications. No, no, no. God has disqualified your disqualifications. Let me explain that if that doesn't make much sense to you. That's right. God has disqualified your reasons for not doing mighty things in his kingdom. God has brushed aside all of your supposed reasons for why you can't be fully engaged in life-changing, family-changing, neighborhood-changing, earth-shaking, history-making ministry in the kingdom. Amen. Listen, the, the, king, the church is part of the kingdom, but the church isn't the kingdom. The kingdom's way bigger. If you're in Uncommon right now, you're learning. The kingdom is everywhere you go. And if you're watching for the profound theology of what Pastor Josiah picks in the songs we sing, we talked about that kingdom being right here now. It's coming, but it's here now. So notice, every person who did great things in the Bible had good reasons for why they couldn't. Let me ask you, what's your excuse? What's your disqualification that God will immediately drop kick and disqualify? Application number three, when done for him, God uses our small actions to prepare us for great ones. 25, look at this verse, next paragraph, ready? Now that same night it came about that the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Just think, it's a totem pole is what it is. That's what the Asherah is, made out of wood. It makes a very nice fire, okay? And, it, and it build an altar to the Lord your God in the top of the stronghold in an orderly manner. Take a second bull and offer burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you have, shall cut down. Then Gideon took two men of his servants, 
10 men of his servants and did what the Lord had spoken to him. And it came about because he was too afraid. Ready? Because he was too afraid. If you're an underliner or a highlighter, underline that. Because Gideon, superstar Gideon, was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day. He did it by night. Now, now think about this. Gideon was so afraid to do this thing that he did it under the cover of darkness. And now, with that picture in mind, let me remind us of the event that made Gideon famous. You know, the story that most of us remember about Gideon in a sentence, this is it, in one sentence. So I I just saved you three chapters of us reading Judges together. Ready? Here is one sentence, the memorable hero of the Bible story. It should be up here. God winnows 30,000 soldiers down to 10,000, then down to 300, and then he splits them into three groups. And with torches, clay jars, and hollering, God confuses the entire Midianite army and they kill each other and flee like crazy men into the wilderness. Gideon's story. This is remarkable, ready? Okay, Gideon leads 300 guys with no weapons and just yelling. Wow, powerful, right? Nuclear yelling, it must have been, right? No weapons against an army that the Bible describes as innumerable, remember it from the text? And they overwhelmingly rout the enemy. I like those odds, don't you? When you're on the right side. And now return to the thought that I asked you to hold on to From verse 27, Gideon was so afraid to pull down a couple of little idols that he had to do it in the dark. That's where he started. So here's what flows right out of the passage. God didn't send Gideon against a whole army on day one. He just asked him to tear down two little idols in a small town. (laughs) But Gideon barely had enough faith to do this. He was so afraid that he snuck around and did it at night. We would call that a pathetic failure. God calls that the perfect stepping stone to changing the world. Let me confirm this. This is Gideon, (laughs) one of the renowned heroes whose names is headlined in the faith chapter of, of Hebrews, chapter 11. But that's why we're focusing on what Gideon looked like when he started, when he was afraid and timid and hesitant. Truth be told, Gideon began as a whiny, whimpering, pathetic, weak. Fill in the rest of the blanks. So guess what? If you've applied those to you, you're perfect. Because we have a sovereign God who cannot be stopped by people who are given to him. So, this leads us to a major recurrent theme. Ready, here's your blank. Even small actions, when done for God, can change everything. Gideon had no idea the incredible impact that this little act of obedience would end up having. Just a baby step of opposing the enemy, a seemingly trivial act, He had no idea how God would transform this simple obedience into a world-changing power that blows a huge hole in the enemy's plan. And this leads to a key concept. Ready? Here it is. Here's your blank. 
when God is involved, even simple acts of obedience can have an astonishing impact. That's how obedience works. You see, when you're all in and Jesus shows up and you're willing to oppose the enemy, then engaging even in a small skirmish can become the foundation for winning huge battles for the kingdom. So maybe you're thinking that God can't really use you to do anything of significance in the kingdom. Maybe you think you're too young, or you didn't grow up in the right home, or you don't think you're very gifted. So I want you to listen very carefully now. Perhaps you think, when you look at Pastor Kurt, or our great phenomenal musicians and worship team, I mean, who can do harmonics on a bass? Nobody. I walk into this church and he's doing harmonics on a bass. Most of you, if you don't know music, you'd have no idea. That's like Michael Jordan in basketball, okay? I mean, you look at, and I look at that and I think, oh my goodness, I'm never gonna touch even a piano key again, right? This is amazing. You look at these people who you see doing incredible things and maybe you're even reading some amazing communicator who's been life-changing for millions of people. And you know what that's a setup for, right? Uh, you don't think you're, uh, you don't think you got it. You don't think you can make a difference because you don't have that. You're not talented like that. See, this passage rejects that thinking. Here's what this passage says. Start small. Even if you have to start at night because you're afraid to do it in the daylight, start where you are at your age with what you do have to offer if you aren't ready to lead an army into war, then just start with a small battle. So here's what happens when a lot of believers are processing this idea of how could God use me. This biblical understanding shows us one thing. Greatness in God's eyes is completely upside down. Greatness in God's eyes is the calling of every single human he ever created. And here is the amazing thing. Greatness in God's eyes is one thing, obedience to his call. There is no other definition in the scripture of greatness. Obedience to his call. Notice how he's disqualified all of our disqualifications because you know what? By his grace, through the infilling of his spirit, every one of us can obey his call. Every one. And when we obey his call, it will do great things because it breaks things in the heavenlies that we cannot see. It's incredible what God can do. So you ready? Application number four. God wants to change your name. By the way, the great thing of me preaching on Super Bowl Sunday or the open, you know, the, the golf, big golf day in Phoenix, the great thing is I give you notes so you know we're almost done. I mean, this is great. You have plenty of time to still go to fries for what you forgot yesterday. Okay, so everybody relax. A few more minutes. God wants to change your name. Gideon has torn down the bale and now look what happens next. Here's the next paragraph. Look at this, verse 28. Then the men of the city rose up early in the morning. The altar of Baal was torn down, and the Asherah, which was beside it, was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar, which had been built. And they said to one another, 
who did this thing? And when they searched out and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son, Joash is his dad, bring out your son that, we, that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah, which was beside it. So, But Joash said to all who stood against him, this is a good technique to save your son, look at this, will you contend for Baal or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, this is a great setup. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because someone has torn down his altar. So think about this. Some men came to kill Gideon because he'd torn down the Baal, but Gideon's father said, if Baal is a real God, he should take care of Gideon himself. So, look at this. <laughs> I love this. Something really important happens now. It's so easy to read past without seeing it at all. Ready? Verse 32. Therefore, on that day, he named him Jerubal. Jerubal. That is to say, this is classic Hebrew. You now give it a name, like Esau had red hair. So Esau means red. They just, they called him Red. Okay, so this is classic Hebrew. Incredible, you ready? Here's what Jerubal means. Let Baal contend against him because he had torn down his altar. Now notice, you should always pay attention to the name changes in scripture because they're gigantic. Abram becomes Abraham. Josiah gave us this theology just, or, or, you, know, when the, you know when the millions of people, million, hundreds of millions of people are singing that really, really famous version of uh, hallelujah, right? Like how many, you know, it's been, it's got half a billion hits on it, right? Hallelujah was written a while ago, all that kind of stuff. They don't realize that Yah is Yahweh. So everybody unknowingly is, it's kind of like saying, well, when does the common era start? Well, we can't use before Christ and after Christ, but when does the common era start? Well, it starts after Christ was born. That, I, my, I, love, I love hitting my archaeology friends at U of A with that, world-class archaeology department, and I say, well, but when did the common era start? Well, when, when Christ was born. Uh, so, so notice, you ready for this? This is, this is Abraham. Ham is the Yahweh, the ah, the breath of God, the power of God in just old Abram, okay? So the name changes are absolutely incredible. Uh, other ones, Jacob to Israel, deceiver to the amazing man of God. How about Saul to Paul? That changed it. We wouldn't be here if God hadn't changed that name. Very unlikely. So pay attention to the name changes. And this is, a, this is a really, really remarkable. Look what's happening in the midst of all of this. Gideon knew the Hebrew name was Jerubal now. Jerubal means let Baal be against him. So let's look at it, the significance. Ready? Write it in. I think this is your last blank. The significance of Gideon's new name, it was a name that announced that Baal was against Gideon. This new name was a proclamation that Baal would battle and fight against Gideon. So now let's make this application personal. 
Perhaps you don't think you're very gifted. Maybe you think you're obscure. Perhaps you're just a student. Or maybe you're only working in a small ministry or maybe you're merely a small cog in a huge workforce of a massive company. No name. Perhaps you're not even a professional. Maybe you never got a degree. Or, or worse yet, you were stupid enough to pay for it and you have one of those disciplines that have nothing to do with kingdom work, right? Maybe you're an engineer. <laughs> I, I hear that witness uh, from the engineers in the room or, or how about the humanities? Now there's useful degrees. Um, or marketing or languages or law. Said like a physician, uh, right? Or, or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe medicine. What good is that for the kingdom? I mean, after all, how could God use that? Whatever you are. Now listen up. You ready? You're just like Gideon. He was a nothing but a wimp with limited skills until he took a small step against the enemy and God changed his name. Look at this. This leads us to some really good questions. No matter how you're gifted, where you live, what you do, who you are, or where you work, are you opposing the enemy of God? Does Satan have to worry about you tearing down his work? Does he have to protect his territory against you? Let me ask you, church, when the enemy thinks of your name, your name, Does he say, now there's someone who's creating problems for me. Do you create enough trouble for him that the enemy has to oppose you? Or can the enemy sit back and relax around you? Can he say, (laughs) oh, they go to church, but I don't have to worry about them tearing down any of my work. My bales are safe around that believer, come to think of it, they're no more scary to me than before they were a Christian. So, I'd like to tell you about a person as we're starting to wrap this up. A person who shows that this message applies to every single person in this room if you are a follower of Christ, no matter how few gifts or resources you have, I want to tell you about a man named Ray Lawrence. You all know his name. He's from one of the churches that Dana and I used to attend. Ray, he's short and physically unimpressive. He's not rich. In fact, compared to many in this room, he would be considered quite poor. He's not very gifted. He can't sing beautifully. He doesn't have any uh, instruments that he plays, and he doesn't like getting up in front of people. Doesn't have the gift of teaching. In fact, as far as I know, Ray Lawrence has two things. A driver's license and an incredible desire to see children come to know Jesus. That's it. Ray developed a ministry at our former church. He takes the church bus out and picks up the children in some of the poorest parts of Tucson. I need to tell you some pertinent information. Nowadays, when you go to the big conferences, if it comes up, they say bus ministries don't work anymore. Well, Ray didn't pay attention. He didn't go to those conferences and he didn't pay attention to the experts. And over the years of his ministry, Ray has brought hundreds 
of children to Christ. Hundreds. In fact, some of the current leaders in that church in Tucson were just bus kids that Ray brought and became part of the kingdom. Leaders in the church now. Oh, man. Over the years of his ministry, here's what's happened. By any believer's standards, Ray should just relax because he's brought more people into the kingdom than anyone else in the church. But Ray has no intention of resting. You see, Ray is always looking for more kids to bring to Jesus. And in fact, when Dana was the children's pastor at the church, Ray asked her, you ready for this? Can I bring preschoolers on the bus? What a horrifying idea. I mean, think about this. It's a big problem to take care of such little kids who come to church without their parents. I mean, like you have to like wipe stuff up, right? I mean, this is not a good idea. But Ray wanted to try it anyway, and I will never forget what happened the very next week. I went out to the bus after church, and it was packed with beautiful little children, and you need to understand, those kids didn't have a chance. It came from one of the most dangerous parts of town, a drug haven in Tucson. They came from broken homes, and literally many of their parents were in prison. But you see, church... Ray has gone to war. Ray's saying to the enemy, you can't have those children. Now, even though Ray isn't talented or rich or educated, here's what I can guarantee you about Ray Lawrence. Just like Gideon, just like Jerubal, the forces of darkness know Ray Lawrence's name. We don't. But let me tell you, the mighty demons, you know what they do? They tremble before Ray because they have to worry about him. He's messing up their plans. See, Ray intends to see these little lives snatched from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of life. You ready? Little no-name Ray is dangerous to the great powers. So as we close, let me tell you again what I know. The enemy knew Jerry Bale's name, and I guarantee you, the enemy, the big enemy, knows Ray Lawrence's name. But I want to ask you a question. Does the enemy know your name? Does Satan have to readjust his battle plans because of you? Does the enemy hear reports back from his minions in Phoenix about you? Are they saying, hey boss, you'd better send reinforcements. We got a real mess here. Those horrifying Christians from Renovation Church are tearing down our bales. Or are they reporting, everything's fine here, boss. You can send the extra forces where the believers are ready to fight. No problem here, boss. I'm not even sure they know there's a war going on. Is that what's being reported about? Now, some of you might be thinking, God can't really use you. 
You think you don't have enough gifts or talents or enough education or enough resources. You may be thinking that you're too young or too old, too poor, or that you didn't grow up in the right kind of family, but the scripture has taught us that God doesn't need us to be great. You know what he needs us to be? Obedient. That's it. Stand with me, church. Pastor Josiah, come on up. Got this from my dad. He cried easily when he preached. And then I cried and I went to the altar. So this, this morning's altar call is really simple. It's not easy, but it's really simple. God is looking for people of all ages who will say, Jesus, you can count on me to be in the battle. I may not have a great faith yet, and I don't think I'm very gifted, but you can count on me. I'm gonna be faithful by your grace no matter what. I'm willing to sacrifice so others may come to know you. Even if I never receive any recognition, even if nobody knows my name. I'm willing to sacrifice so others will come to know you. I'm gonna start tearing down the bales. Maybe nobody on earth is gonna know my name, but I intend for the enemy to know it. Lord, you can count on me to create problems for the forces of evil. Lord, you can count on me to help mess up Satan's plans. Lord, here am I, send me. Today, if you intend for this to be your testimony, if you're ready to make your declaration that you're all in, then I'm asking you to go public, to, to put a stake in the sand. I'm asking you to step out. I'm challenging you to commit. I'm asking you to declare no more sidelines for me, no more wishy-washy, no more passive Christianity, no more lukewarm commitment. I'm all in. No matter what your age or your gifts or your resources, your talents, if you're ready and you're ready to be in and you mean it really, if you want the enemy to know your name, and I want you to come to these altars as a public declaration of your commitment as Pastor Josiah leads us. Not easy, but simple. Just come.